Hey everybody, welcome to the first uh, official episode of What Was I Thinking with Jake Walden, and I am your host, that is me, I am Jake Walden, and I'm glad that you're back. Thank you for everybody that tuned in to the short introductory episode. Um, uh, it was just kind of, really all I was doing there was just kind of explaining, uh, you know, my reason for starting this podcast and uh, to just kind of experiment with the, you know, um, how I will distribute this podcast. Uh, got some good feedback, though. Um, it, uh, you know, I don't know much about uh, podcast analytics yet, but it is cool to see that there were listeners from New Zealand and from the UK. So, uh, you know, if that's you again, thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to get into... Uh, the oneness of God today, maybe a little bit of an unexpected topic to start straight off, but this is something I believe that um, is important. I think we need to understand who we worship, and I think that uh, we need to understand um, or be able to defend, not that the Bible just needs defending. I understand the Word of God. It speaks for itself, but we need to be able to show in Scripture why we believe what we believe um, I won't, you know, I think this will be beneficial for people who uh, believe oneness doctrine as well as people who, um, you know, believe a Trinitarian doctrine or maybe don't know what you believe. I think this will be beneficial for everyone. Um, and we're going to get into it. Uh, so without further ado, here we go. The oneness of God. All right. So, uh, with me for this episode, I am, I'm in my office at the church, and I have a very special guest uh, sitting in, uh, mainly, um, you know, he, he, he can say whatever he wants, whenever he wants, but uh, also he can uh, kind of throw something at me if I say something that isn't right. Um, but my pastor and my dad, uh, Ed Walden, is sitting in the office with me. Say, hey, Dad. Hey, how are you today? Glad to be here. I'm sure that everyone said I'm doing well. Um, we can't hear you on this side. Uh, <clears throat> but this, my, you know, he's my dad, so I'm a little bit partial, but uh, he is one of the best teachers that I know. Uh, a lot of the knowledge that I have on this subject just comes from um, listening to him teach it and preach it. And uh, so I'm thankful that he is sitting in with me today. Um, but again, the oneness of God. Let me. Uh, preface this and just go ahead and say right off the bat that whenever I talk about something like this that can be a controversial topic, um, if I'm discussing with someone who holds a different belief than me, I always say that this is not about me being able to say, ha ha, I'm right, you're wrong. And, um, you know, this is not about me telling you that uh, that your grandmama was wrong, that your pastor of 50 years is wrong. This is not about this. This is not a just a, a showdown between uh, two different denominations or anything like that. This is I want to, like the scripture says, expound to you the way of God more perfectly. I just want to show you what the Bible says. And I understand that it can be a sensitive thing when you have believed one thing, you know, for a long time or maybe even your whole life. It can be a very sensitive thing uh, and a hard thing to even entertain the idea that that the Bible might be saying something different. 
But if you want to be closer to God, and I think that we all do, I think that it is beneficial for us to have a better understanding of what the Word of God says, what the Word of God teaches, and who God is. If I want to be close to God, I want to understand who He is. And that's why I'm talking about the oneness of God today. So let me start off uh, with a familiar scripture, or uh, familiar to most of us, I'm sure. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, this is this should be important to all of us, but uh, just to the Jewish people, what this scripture means to them. Uh, let me go to the following verses. It says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Dad, do you have anything to say about what this passage in Deuteronomy means to the Jewish people? Well, to uh, to the Jewish people, of course, uh, the monotheism is that's them. They they're one God believers. Uh, I was actually thinking uh, on some of this today. I didn't know I would be sitting in on a oneness podcast, but um, we can't uh, as Gentiles, as Americans, whatever you want to refer to us as. Uh, we have to be careful that we don't try to westernize the Bible. And what I mean by that is that you have to remember that the scripture says salvation is to the Jew first, then to the Greek or then to the Gentile. Um, Jesus even said uh, to the woman at the well, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews and knowing um, who and what they worshiped was very important. That's uh, even the statement he made to the woman at the well was that um, you know, if you knew who it was who asked you to drink, you would have asked me. If you'd just known who I am and what the gift of God is, you'd be asking me. There's a lot of things that um, uh, you know we see in Scripture where you know, a lot of times people will say, well, the Jews kept failing God. They kept missing God. But, uh, yeah, they, they maybe they did. But we're also warned not to boast against Israel but just because they— uh, they were broken off the vine, so to speak, uh, as the scripture says, and we were grafted in. We stand by faith, and our faith is in that same one God that they had faith in or should have faith in. Uh, you'll never convince them of, of two gods or three gods or even two or three persons in a Godhead. They, they know that um, they knew about Christ. They didn't believe that Jesus, our Savior, was the Messiah, but they believed that Christ was coming and what they believed about Christ was that God was in Christ. And so um, when they hear, Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. Um, to me, I, I always uh, bring that to Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. You know, uh, what is it in a message that gets, uh, that gets us to the altar? You know, what, what was it in the message that got you to the altar? And there was something that pricked your heart. There was something that gave you 
that that touched you in a way that you knew this was truth and I've got to find the solution or I've got to do something to uh, reconcile this. And I always wondered what it was that, uh, you know, you read that and you want to see what was it that got uh, Israel's attention in Peter's message. And it came at what we, you know, see coming to the conclusion when he said, let uh, Israel know assuredly that this same God or this same Jesus that you have crucified is both Lord and Christ. The reason that affected them at that point more than any other time is because of what he said. Uh, he had backed up uh, his message with scripture that they believed in and they had read every uh, Sabbath day and different things. But when he came down to the point of this same Jesus, the one you crucified is Lord and Christ. Now, uh, they know Peter or some of them may have even known him personally, but they know this is a Jewish man who believes in one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And he just said that we crucified the Lord. And so that was the, the point that uh, tipped them that day on that day of Pentecost that uh, we have done something. Now they're asking the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Of course, Peter goes on to, you know, give them our plan of salvation. Uh, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But he went ahead and, and, and reiterated that name of the Lord, the only one true God that we know as Jesus Christ. So, uh, they still believe it and we should believe, uh, just as assuredly if our salvation is in God, then we should know that there is one God, which is what Israel has known all along. The, the old Testament is full of the scripture of God declaring himself the savior and as Israel's savior. And even the psalmist would, would make statements, save me by thy name and different things that hasn't changed for us. It's just that the name was revealed for us. Right. Can't put it any better than that. Um, so, you know, a lot of people though, they'll say that, uh, or, you know, there, there are some that hold a Trinitarian belief that will say, well, you can't really see the Trinity fully revealed until you get to the new Testament. But um, even Jesus, he uh, in the New Testament, Jesus taught Deuteronomy six and four. Jesus taught it. Right. Uh, and the apostles and the disciples, even after obeying the plan of salvation, being filled with the Holy Ghost, even after their experiences with Jesus in the flesh, they still taught from the Old Testament because the Old Testament never contradicted the New Testament. They, they didn't even have a New Testament. They were living the New Testament. Uh, they, they were living the prophetic fulfillments of the Old Testament. And they, they understood that Jesus was the Lord. And when Jesus taught Deuteronomy 6 and 4 in the New Testament, that, that was God manifest in flesh speaking for himself on the subject of who he is and the fact that there is one God. And that was him. Now, saying that, there are uh, there are people that hold a Trinitarian belief that will actually say that you can go all the way to the beginning and say you can see the Trinity from the very beginning. When they say uh, right there at the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. Right. That's a big one. That's a big thing they go to. Now, um, there's several things you can 
say about this and you, you you'll immediately run into problems trying to read the Trinity into this verse. Um, but approaching it from several different ways, I guess you, you can look at the next verse, which is the fulfillment. It says, so God created man in his own image. That's, that's after he said, let's make man our image. He, he, he goes on and he says, it says, so God created man in his own image. It switches back to the singular. And we see that he created Adam. He created one man in his own image. He was, Adam was one man with one personality, even with a body and a mind, a soul, spirit, what have you. Uh, and he is in the image of his creator. The Adam, Adam was not a trinity. Adam was not more than one personality, uh, just as God is not. Adam is one person reflecting his one creator. God made Adam in his own image. Uh, you can go to another passage um, in Isaiah, another passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah 44, 24. God says in the first person that he says, I stretched out the heavens alone and made the earth by myself. God himself is saying, when I created everything, I did it alone. I did it by myself. And so it's not appropriate to add a second or third person as a pre-existent being when the Bible is clear that God did it all alone and by himself. And so, um, yeah, you know, that still leaves us with the question, though, why did he say, let us? Now, I have some points that I can make here, but do you have any points you want to make on why he said, let us make man? Well, you know, there's, yeah, and there are, um, you know, you can look at uh, if a lot of people are not going to ever go and study, you know, the Hebrew language and how, uh, if it's a, you know, singular and plural vowels and, and verbs and nouns and things like that, you can do all that and you can prove that the let us actually is referring to one singular, but for the person who is just reading the scripture and it wants to find it in the black and white of their Bible without having to go through a concordance or anything. I mean, you can find uh, Ephesians, uh, the first chapter um, that Paul was writing there. And he made mention that God works everything after the counsel of his own will. So that in other words, he, only took counsel of himself, you know, um, there's the, um, you know, the, the way that we say, um, well, you know, and it's very simple, but it's, but it makes sense is that when you're doing something alone and by yourself, have you ever said been working and maybe say, mm, let's see, the well, pl the plural of deliberation. That, yeah. It's, so it's uh, you're working something after the counsel of your own will, but you you're inquiring of yourself, of your own mind, of your own knowledge. And you, you're like, well, let's see what we'll do, which is saying, let us see what we'll do. Well, there's nobody else there but you. But that's what you what we do sometimes um, when we uh, are working by ourselves or doing something about on our own. So to uh, but that the one and it's one thing that I heard, like, say, that answered that question for me very early on was, was what Paul said in Ephesians. I think the exact uh, scripture is Ephesians one and 11. I believe that's right. Um, where he said that God works all things after the counsel of his own will. Um, you mentioned um, the, the part of Isaiah, you know, saying that 
um, God created the the heavens and stretched forth the heavens and created the earth. All did all this thing on His own. And uh, so, when you read uh, John's account of that in in the book of Saint John in the first chapter, you know he makes it plain right there that um, when he was, he, we know that he's talking about Jesus in in Saint John chapter one, uh, but he's talking about the Lord, that God was made uh, flesh and dwelt among us. But he said that he created all things, uh, you know, and all things were made by him, created by him. And so uh, that's just another place, again, where you prove that the creator who was creating all things was simply one. Uh, the existence of a plural God, and, and I, I know I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, this topic makes my mind run. But... Um, you know, to say that there is a, a Trinity and that he was talking to, um, you know, the Holy Ghost and to the Son when he made that statement. Number one, the Son did not exist uh, in at creation. Uh, God existed, but the, the man, Christ Jesus, did not exist. Uh, the Bible says that he was begotten. That means he did not come into existence until he was conceived in the womb. There is no... Uh, it never was a, a pre-existing eternal son. Um, the the top the term God the Son is not even biblical. That's not a biblical term. And um, when we read John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Well, now when you read about all these other uh, children who are begotten in the Scripture, they didn't exist prior to that conception, to that that delivery and that birth. So uh, Jesus did not exist um the body the book of hebrews says that god prepared a body and so this body was not prepared until that conception so uh, jesus did not exist he was not there sitting beside the throne or standing beside the throne when god said hey why don't we make him in our image you know um that that's just not it's not biblical and you can't find it in scripture yep and i i think that a deeper significance to that too, the the whole deliberation thing. God just basically saying, you know, let's see, um, is that God? And I've heard this said before. Uh, Brother Bernard said this, you know, um, that God when God made light, He said, "Let there be light." You know, everything He did is just bam, 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 bam. But when He got to us, it was something special that He He thought about and deliberated about and like I said, after his own counsel mm -hmm. and he was thinking, you know, th this is something special. This is going to be made in my own image. Sure. And that's a little bit of a deeper significance to that too. But, you know, there are other ways there, there's the, the whole Royal plural thing that we also have in English. Like when a Royal person speaks, they sometimes speak. We, you know, you, you hear that. Um, there's a Jewish point of view uh, that, um, you know, the angels, not although not creators were present at creation and, and uh, Job backs this up. Uh, and, you know, God recognized them as also being created in the image of God. So perhaps they say perhaps this was God's way of telling the angels, we're going to do this. That's that's another just a Jewish point of view. Um, and, uh, you know, and then there's there's other ways you can approach it. The the and I don't want to spend too much time on just that one thing. But the main thing is that no matter how you approach this, uh the, all those things testify still to just there being one God. You just can't you can't read the Trinity into that verse. No, 
Um, so you can't say that the Trinity, well, you can find the Trinity from the very beginning because you just can't. Um, another thing uh, that I want to go to here, this is a major point that, that people bring up a lot, um, is why did Jesus pray? And firstly, I guess I'll, I'll start off here and you can say, just add anything you want to. But um, firstly, Jesus, I, I, I tell people this a lot, that Jesus did pray to give us an example uh, as he did give us an example to follow in many things, really everything that he did. But, uh, but I think secondly that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Exactly. And as I have flesh and a spirit, but am one person, so was he. Right. Uh, I have a fleshly body and I have a spirit, but I'm not two different people. Um, now, just as I have to pray in order to get my flesh to submit to God, to get my flesh in subjection to God, Jesus prayed so that his flesh would submit to his own will. He, he prayed in, a man, in the manner that he did to show us this. Um, now, like in the garden when, before his arrest, when he's praying and he's agonizing um, and he's saying, let this, you know, let this cup pass from me if it's possible. Nevertheless, thy will, not my will. His flesh didn't want to be crucified. The part of him that was fully man that didn't want to endure all that it was about to endure. But he prayed to get his flesh to submit to the will of the spirit or the father. They're the same. Uh, the Father, it, it says in, in John, I believe that God is a spirit. The Bible, the Bible says that, and so that that opens another question. So, how many Holy Spirits are there? By the way, so um, you know, is there anything else you want to add about why Jesus prayed? Well, that would uh, you know sums it basically is the fact that um, he was completely man and completely God. It was, he was God manifest in the flesh. Um, all the fullness, the scripture said of the Godhead, everything, all the attributes and all that God is dwelt in him bodily. He wasn't divine flesh. He was human flesh and blood. Um, and so his flesh would pray. It's just like he, you know, God doesn't eat, but yet Jesus would eat. Um, God doesn't sleep, but yet Jesus would sleep. Uh, we know that um, he would get weary, so he stopped and rested on the well. And that's where, of course, he talked with the woman at the well and said, told her, you know, God is a spirit and they that worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. You know, we get the same question about, you know, why did he, uh, you know, who was he talking to when he was on the cross? Why did he say, you know, uh, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And again, that goes back to his flesh because Jesus, uh, of course, being in the likeness of sinful flesh, he was tempted in all points as we are, but without sin, he never knew, you know, what, what do we know about sin? We know that sin separates us from God. And he never knew that separation from the time uh, he was walking around and he was old enough to say, I must be about my father's business. Uh, he did not know what it was like to lie or to steal or to feel that he had disappointed God or that he was uh, out of the will of God. And on that cross with uh, the weight of the world, the sin of the world, all the things, when we say sin, we throw a blanket out there, but you think of what 
all the, the emotions, the things that come with each sin, he's now feeling uh, um, the weight of sin. He, it wouldn't be fair for him to say, here, carry this sin, but you won't feel it. You won't know what it's like. He had to understand the awfulness of sin. And so when he was on that cross bearing the sins of this world, uh, he felt what it was like now in his body, in his flesh, to be separated from God. He never had to feel the pain uh, you know, the, the scars, the, the, the wounds that he had all were because of him bearing the sins of the world. And he was now feeling something he had never had to feel before. Um, he had, he had felt, you know, he'd been despised. He'd been rejected in this world walking, but he knew he was doing everything he heard the father say for him to do. And, uh, he was saying the things that he was supposed to be saying, but now he's, about to take his last breath and he doesn't understand that uh, his flesh doesn't and so his flesh cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me now uh he wasn't delusional he wasn't you know just because he was the last cry out of a, a man who was losing his life jesus had already mentioned you know the time's coming and all men are going to forsake me but i'm not alone for the father is always with me so he, before he gets to the cross, he makes that statement. He knows that um, he's on a mission. He didn't know. He had an idea. He looked into the cup and said, if there's any way possible that this pass from me, but unless if the only way it'll pass is if I drink it, then, you know, your will be done. So he goes ahead and he goes to the cross. Uh, but he did not know exactly what he was going to feel because he had never felt sin. But when he got on that cross, his flesh felt the, the desperation and the separation of as we as humans feel when we are separated from God. And he cried out again. It all goes back to his humanity. That's why anytime Jesus prayed, that's why he prayed at the tomb of Lazarus. He prayed and he said, I, I'm saying this for the benefit of those that are around me, because I know you always hear what I say. Yeah. But so those around me will know and believe you know, yep. I'm praying. Um, and so he would do that because it was right. Jesus was big about fulfilling things. He told John when he was baptizing him, he said, suffer us to fulfill all righteousness. So uh, when he would pray again, it could be it would be for an example, but it was also to, to be uh, just because, you know, he was God. He was the savior of the world. He was still flesh and blood. And so his flesh would pray, you know, to that eternal God. Yep. And I've, I've preached a, uh, a message before, um, that Jesus paid it all. I was talking about, he, I mean, he really did everything he did at Calvary. He covered it all for us, our sin, iniquity, transgression for our healing, for our minds. Um, and, and I, I pointed out before that, that, that last thing that he covered right there was on the cross was he even bore the weight of that separation that we feel because of sin that was uh you know it, it, it's that he you know he covered that as well the separation that we feel from god when we sin he bore that as well yes that's a whole nother thing i could get into that's <laughs> i'm about to get into a, a a different uh lesson a different message here but um all right uh, we're going to uh, move on a little bit into some scripture. 
All right, so I'm going to kind of rapid fire some scripture going through Old Testament to New. Um, but I've already, you know, we've already mentioned, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. <clears throat> and then the Lord says things like, To whom shall you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Well, if you jump ahead, you see that Jesus is the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. I think anybody listening to this would agree that Jesus is the Savior. Well, the Lord said in the Old Testament, beside me there is no Savior. Uh, he said, I am the first, I am the last. Well, isn't Jesus Alpha and Omega beginning in the end? And they said, beside me there is no God. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. He said, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Now jump to the, the New Testament. Jesus, who was referred to as Lord, says Jesus answered him, the first of all, the commandments is, here he is teaching Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Again, God is in the flesh here, but speaking clearly for himself on the subject of there being one God, and it was him. Um, in the beginning, listen, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, as we see in Jesus. Now, I like the wording here that it's... It doesn't say the word made flesh, but the word was made flesh. God was made flesh. He wrapped himself in flesh. And, and it says, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Now, he said in the Old Testament, I will not give my glory to another. So we ask how the, this invisible God, how can we could we have beheld his glory? Well, we beheld it, it says, as the only begotten of the Father. We saw him as the Son of God, the Father, come wrapped in flesh, full of grace and truth. Then Jesus said, uh, in another place, he said, I and my Father are one. That's flesh and spirit. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, you know, look at uh, when asked to reveal himself to Moses, God said, I am that I am. When Jesus was asked how, they said, you know, the age you are, how could you even, how could you know Abraham? He said, before Abraham was, I am. That's God language. Uh, when asked by the disciples to be shown the Father, Jesus answered, How have you been with me this long? And still don't you still don't understand, you still don't know. He said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, Jesus said, If you believe not that I am he, that's more God language that you'll find throughout the the Old Testament. He said, You'll die in your sins. Um, in reference to Romans eight and eleven. Now I like this a lot. Romans 8 and 11 says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, there is only one Spirit of God. In fact, again, John 4, 24, it says God is a Spirit. Well, the Spirit that dwelt in Christ was, like Colossians 2 and 9 says, all the fullness of the Godhead. The titles of Father, Christ, and Spirit do not divide the Godhead into separate personages, but refer to different relationships 
and functions or offices of the one God. So look at this. We can say that the Father resurrected the body of Christ. Look at Acts 2.24 or Ephesians 1.17. Um, or that Jesus raised the body of Christ. Look at John 2.19. Or you can say the Spirit did so in Romans 8 and 11. It's, the Bible's not contradicting itself. It's just referring to different, it's in different places, referring to different roles that God uh, had, had played. Now, so there is one God. God is the Father. God is the Son. And God is the Holy Ghost. In the Old Testament, God said that He is the Lord. Beside Him, there's no Savior. In the New Testament, we see that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just, uh, let me show you that in, in Isaiah 45 and 23. This is the Old Testament. God is saying, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear. Well, then you jump to the uh, New Testament in Philippians. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, uh, and then I guess just one more point in this rapid fire thing here. You go all the way to the end of the book, look in Revelation 4 and 2, and the things that the Lord was showing John, John said, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. It's, it's, it's God revealing himself in pieces throughout history. And now we understand that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. You have anything to add to that rapid fire scripture? Well, that, uh, when you talk about the Savior, that's one thing that um, I've always uh, you know, went back to when teaching about the oneness of God and that he is one is uh, who he is. So again, he is the savior. And, and this may re reiterate some of the scripture you just said, but Isaiah 43 and 11, I, I, even I am the Lord. So he's revealing himself here. Uh, number one, I am the Lord. All right. Well, we know that the, the Lord is Jesus. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord yep. uh, for Israel. Hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. So he says, I, even I am the Lord and beside me, there is no savior. And he said, I have declared and saved, showed, uh, there was no strange God when there was no strange God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord that I am God. So there, there you have the Lord setting the record straight, very plain, easy to understand. We know that there's only one Lord and that Lord is God. Uh, God saying, I am the Lord. And I am the Savior, and beside me there is no other. Uh, in Isaiah 45 and 15, uh, he says, Verily thou art a God that hideth thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. In verse 21, he says, There is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be saved, all ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. So if the only way to look to him we need to look unto him to be saved. We also know that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. That's got to be the name of this one God Savior that he's declaring himself to be in Isaiah.
in Titus, when he wrote his, uh, his letters, if you read through there, you will find alternating. Uh, in verse three, he says, God, our savior. In verse four, he says, Jesus Christ, our savior. Mm-hmm. In verse 10, God, our savior. Verse, um, and then uh, verse 13, uh, he says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our savior, Jesus Christ. He wasn't saying that as two. He was simply saying, just like God said in Isaiah, uh, that I am the Lord and the Savior. Yep. There is none beside me. And so you could uh, go down, just, you just keep going. They, they, they're Jewish people who believe in one God and that that one God is the Lord. The name of the Lord has been revealed to us, Jesus Christ. They haven't changed their beliefs in one God. Now they have a revelation of the name. And so that's why they have no problem uh, interchanging God, our savior or Jesus Christ, our savior, because they know yep. that it's actually the same. Yep. Uh, you know, you mentioned the scripture uh, in that rapid fire. There were several things you said, but you, you mentioned where it said all the fullness of the Godhead. Um, the scripture says dwelleth in him bodily. The word dwelleth means as present tense. It means even now uh, when Jesus said, you've, uh, when they said, show us the father and suffice. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. When you get to heaven, if you were to ask Jesus that question, Jesus, show us the father. He would have the same answer because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Yep. And he would say, if you're seeing me, you're seeing the father. He probably say, how'd you get in here? Yeah. Still asking that question. <laughs> but, um, but he's the same yesterday, today and forever. But all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him bodily because he's alive forevermore. It doesn't change. Uh, he's, he's still, uh, Christ Jesus, our King, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, uh, savior forever. Yep. Um, let me, uh, I'll actually touch on that in just, in just a second, that, that very scripture, but, um, in Colossians, uh, and I'll be, I'll be wrapping this up, uh, here soon, but there's a couple other things I want to, I want to show us. I don't want to just go too, too long on this, but um, in Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 14, <clears throat> let me just read this. And whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God. It's talking about Jesus, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. How could we see the invisible God? Well, Jesus, him, God manifests in the flesh. Uh, firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. It's still talking about, you know, it, it's still talking about Jesus. For for by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities, powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. Again, like you mentioned earlier, this there was not a pre-existent son. It's, it's talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. It's saying he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And then you go to Colossians 2, uh, 6 through 9, says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as he have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. And then it says this 
Now, listen, I, I say this with no maliciousness. I say this with not being mean, derogatory towards anything. But the Trinitarian doctrine is a man-created doctrine. It was. It, it's you can't again. You can't find it in Scripture. Now you can't even find the term Trinity in the Scripture. But uh, the Trinitarian doctrine is a man-made doctrine. And this says here: Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit after th- the tradition of men, uh, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So. God wrapped himself in flesh, revealed his name, Jesus, meaning Jehovah saves. He, he was God manifest. The Bible says God manifest in the flesh. Well, manifest means made to be seen. That is how God was made to be seen, was in the flesh. The image of the invisible God. We just read that. The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. That is how we could see the invisible God. He's not a separate person from the Father. He is the Father in relationship to humanity. There's one God, one Father of us all. He's our Heavenly Father. He is the Father in relationship to humanity. He's the Son in the way that we were able to behold Him in the flesh. Like you said again, with the pre, it was not a preexistent thing. He he made the flesh, the the Holy Ghost, the the Spirit of God. God is a spirit, so so you can say the Holy Ghost, or you can say God overshadowed Mary. She became pregnant with this fleshly body that He Himself would dwell in. He created it. He created this vessel, and so He was Son in the way we were able to hold Him in the flesh. God is one singular being who revealed himself in stages throughout history. And now we understand, going back to that scripture, that in Jesus, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Absolutely. That um, where um, we have been thinking on several scriptures, but, you know, going back to uh, something we started out with uh you know, the Jews, their view on one God was still so uh, strong while Jesus was walking this earth that when he had done, they took up stones, John 10, they took up stones to stone him. Jesus wanted to know for which of the good works are you going to stone me? It says not for a good work that we stone you, but for blasphemy. And because that thou being a man makest thyself God. It wasn't that, uh, they were upset with him about saying he was a prophet or, or a teacher or anything like that. They were upset because the things that he was doing, uh, he was proclaiming himself to be God. Jesus said, if you won't believe me for my words, he said, believe me for the works sake, the things that I do, because the works were testifying that he was God. Mm -hmm. And uh, to, to prove that point, I don't know how much time we have left, but I'm not going to go through a bunch of things, but if you read Isaiah 35, it will be um, the, the proclamation of, of when God comes to save his people. Isaiah 35 and 4 says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Now he's writing this to Israel. He said, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then 
the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame man shall leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out as stream in streams in the desert. So when did these things happen? There's only with all the miracles you'll read about that prophets performed uh, prior to the New Testament, they raised the dead, they did all kinds of miracles, but nobody ever opened blinded eyes. And when John, in John 9, when the man who was born blind was being examined by the Pharisees, he said, had it ever been told that any man anywhere ever opened blinded eyes? Well, they had no answer because they knew they'd never heard of it because that miracle was reserved so that they would understand at this point, your God has come. Mm -hmm. Now they missed him. Yeah. They, they, they couldn't accept it. He came to them. They received him not. Um, you know, he wept over them and said, you didn't know the time of your visitation. They missed him, but he gave them every opportunity. If they would search the scriptures, Jesus said, search the scriptures for it's the scriptures that testify of me. Yep. And if they had done that, they would realize they all, we know that when God comes blinded eyes are going to be open mm -hmm. and wow, here's a man with blinded eyes, but they were so, uh, eat up with themselves and they were hard hearted and stiff necked still that they couldn't see that this was their God who had come manifest in the flesh to, to show salvation to the world. Yep. And, you know, thing about being hard hearted, stiff necked, you know, with something like this, I don't want to be so wrapped up in, you know, maybe a tradition that I've always had, maybe a belief that I've always held just because it's, that's just, you know, what my grandparents taught or my, my parents taught or my pastor for 50 years taught, you know, we need to just be open to what the Bible teaches, what the Bible says. I want to know him for who he is. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to just say that I follow this because this is what we've always done. There were, there were people in the scripture that did that. And like I made reference to it earlier in one place, they told me, they said, we, we want to expound to you the way of God more perfectly. You know, I want, exactly. I want to know him for who he is. Yep. And I want to understand that, that I don't have to, worship or pray to or sing to uh, you know three different persons in the godhead but i understand that he is my heavenly father and i understand that he wrapped himself in flesh and we beheld his glory as of as the son of god right and that now he, he even told him he said i'm going away my flesh is going away so that the comforter can come. Well, he's talking about the Holy Ghost. He, he's basically saying, I'm giving you myself. He's saying, I'll still be with you. Exactly. This just that this flesh will not be with you. He said, but my spirit, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. Right. And that is how I will remain with you. So it was different roles and different offices in different times for the plan that God had laid out. And so I want to understand him for who he is. One last point that I'll make, and, and I just think it's it's worth making, um, I've heard it said before that uh, that Jesus is the icon. So if you if you look at your your phone or you look at your computer, you have different apps and different programs. Well, there's usually a little icon. You think about Facebook. If you want to if you want to open Facebook, mm -hmm. it's a little blue, you know, square with a with a white F on it. The the Facebook F. Well, that's the icon. 
when you click on it, all kinds of stuff opens up. You have access to all kinds of different things within this app. You have a, a web browser app, you know, like uh, uh, Google Chrome. Well, you have the you have the little the little G. That's the icon. You click on it, and you have access to all kinds right. of other stuff. Well, Jesus is the icon. You 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 click on Jesus, and you and you'll get uh, Father and Son, Holy Ghost. You, but you'll also get Strong Tower and Comforter and and Counselor and Peace and Deliverer right. and all these other things. Well, you know if you go along the if if you're making different personages for different roles, then there's there's more than three that you can that you can throw in the Godhead because he's all kinds of things to right. us. And so, but when it comes down to it, he is one God. His yeah. name is Jesus. And we understand that now that that has been fulfilled. We can know him now for who he is. It doesn't have to be a mystery to us. There, he, He's not going to, uh, there's not going to be something else that he reveals himself as. We can understand him now for who he is and we right. can know him for who he is. And, uh, and you know, it says that one day every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. Well, I'd rather choose right now to confess that I know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that yes. Jesus Christ is the one God. Um, and I, I don't want to just uh, take more and more time with it. There's all kinds of of just gold nuggets that you can, you can throw yeah. in about when you're talking about the oneness of the Godhead. And we could go for probably a couple more hours on this just, yes. um, but I, I think this is a good stopping point. And I, and if you have questions, reach out to me after you listen to this. Um, uh, I do ask, share this, um, not just so people can hear me talk, uh, but share this for the benefit of others, share it so that people can, uh, can hear this and understand maybe someone that doesn't understand uh, they can get some understanding out of God's word. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think this will be beneficial. I appreciate you listening. And I and you know what? Uh, after after this is over, be prayerful about this. Be prayerful. Ask God, Lord, open my understanding. I want to know. I want to know you for who you are. Yeah. I want to I want to know you for who you are. Um, and if we search for him like that, he will reveal himself to us. God is not going to hide himself from us if we are seeking to know him because he wants to know us too. Amen. 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 All right. Well, uh, be sure to, again, share this, uh, subscribe to this podcast, uh, whether you listen on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Um, and I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And uh, I'll see you next time on What Was I Thinking with Jake Walden. Take it easy, everybody.